You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, the first lesson of our Covenants module, Philip Edwards will teach on man's broken covenant relationship with God and how through the ages he has painstakingly restored it. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study past modules, register for upcoming modules, and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome everyone to this uh, new module we're starting this evening on covenants. It's, it's quite a lengthy subject, so we're not going to uh, rush it and cram lots of things in. We're going to do it over two modules. So this one is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. We'll have a nice break over Christmas, and then we'll come back in the spring term to do uh, the, the second part of it. Let's just pray then before we start this evening. Heavenly Father, we just thank you because we're always dealing with subjects that are very close to your heart. It's what your spirit has written about in this fantastic book that we have. Father, we want you to teach us by your spirit. Lord, uh, help us to fully understand what it is to be in a covenant relationship with you. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, I'll be able to simply break things down and that we could just easily receive it and follow it and understand it and uh, make it be part of our Christian experience. And Lord, we pray that any necessary changes we have to make, you'll enable us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your notes, um, I'm going to be doing a, a bit of a lengthy introduction uh, to it. So I'll tell you when the notes uh, kick off, uh, so uh, you'll be fully... Otherwise, people are desperately trying to find where I am. Of course, I'm not there, um, somewhere else. Uh, but um, we'll do that. We have in this fantastic book that God has given us, and of course it's far much more than just a book, uh, it's a book that has two parts to it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another word that could be used for testament is the word covenant. And so what we find is in the Old Testament, there are four covenants that are laid out for us, one after the other, And in the New Testament, it's just one covenant, and that's called the New Covenant. So we're going to be examining what a covenant is, the very nature of covenant, uh, how God over this long period of time introduced one covenant after another to bring us to a point that brought us into a fantastic covenant relationship with God. The relationship we have with God is unique. It's a covenant relationship. If the the church where you're attending or or the the books that you're reading, it hasn't dealt with covenant, then we don't fully understand our relationship with God. We think maybe he's a father, and of course he is a father, or we might think of him in, in various other ways. A lot of people are afraid of God, but we must study covenant to realize we've entered into this very unique, special, wonderful relationship with him that we call a covenant 
relationship. And it's the covenants that we'll be studying and looking at until we get to the final uh, covenant in the New Testament. So there are four covenants in the Old Testament that we'll be looking at. There was a covenant that God first made with Noah. Uh, when the flood was going to come, he entered into a covenant with this one man. Later, some hundreds of years later, we find that he enters into a second covenant with Abraham. And this covenant he makes with Abraham extends to his extended family, several hundreds of people. Sometimes later, he enters into a covenant with a nation. So first a man, then a family, and then a nation. And of course, he makes the covenant with Moses to enter into the, 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 the covenant with the nation of Israel. Later, he enters into a covenant with David, and from that covenant he makes with his friend David, a king will come from the line of David who will sit on the throne forever. And that sets itself wonderfully up for the fifth and final covenant, which is the new covenant that he, God, has entered into with the church through Jesus Christ, the one who made the covenant. So we'll be looking at that history. It spans the 6,000 years. So we're in a way, we're going to look at the whole Bible from beginning to end and see the tremendous plan of God and the thought of God, how he works through everything with his creation to, to bring them back from the place where they had fallen really to this wonderful new relationship we have with him. A covenant is the highest form of relationship that we can have in this earth, in this life. And that's what God wants with us, the highest form of relationship. Thinking generally of relationships, and of course, we have a variety of relationships. We have an acquaintance, that is a relationship, maybe people that you work with or you know or, or live down the street. You wouldn't turn them as your friends. You know them, you say hello, good morning, and that's, that's a relationship. Then moving on, we have friends, maybe some of those people, colleagues, you enter into a, a somewhat deeper relationship with. You're, you chat a lot together or, you know, you just get on well and you might go out for coffee or whatever. Then it moves on to a much deeper relationship in that you have close friends. You might only have one or two or three of those, people that you would open up and share your very life with or you would, you would want them to know more about you and, and you would want them to open up their lives to you so you, you become close friends. After that, we have blood relations which is it's, it's a much different relationship because with blood, blood relations, we might not see them for a year or two. A close friend we might see two or three times a week, but a blood relative we don't. Yet when we meet them, because we're blood relatives, there's something special, there's something different in that relationship. I have two brothers. We don't see each other too often, but if, if one needed something, the other would immediately respond whenever we meet each other. There's something different because we're of the same blood. The relationship that God wants with us is higher than all of those. It's the covenant relationship. You say, well, can you explain what that is? Marriage is a covenant relationship. 
It's far beyond any friendship, far beyond any blood relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Two people who willingly choose to come and commit their lives to each other in such a way that the Bible describes it as the two becoming one. That's what God wants. They're all those other relationships are God. God doesn't want to be your friend. He doesn't really, uh, listen to me carefully, he doesn't want to be your father. There's that hint of a, a, a blood relationship. He wants more than that. He wants covenant relationship where he willingly and joyfully commits himself to you in such a way that he'll never leave you, never let you down, always be for you, always be supportive of you. And he invites you into that same relationship with him. You see, if we understand covenant and the relationship we have, we wouldn't have some of the funny questions that we have about God. And so we need to understand the depth of this and how God over 4,000 years worked with his people to bring us to this fantastic relationship with him. That's what we're going to be looking at and uncovering tonight. Adam and Eve, they knew something of this covenant relationship. Although scripture doesn't say they were in covenant relationship with him, they were. It didn't have to be stated. When he created them and he placed them in the garden, he had such a close relationship with them. Scripture describes covenant relationship like this, and it describes it many times. God wants to be your God. God wanted to be Adam and Eve's God. He wanted them to be his people. He wants you to be his people, and he wants to dwell in the midst of us, just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was their God. He was their sovereign. He supplied everything. He knew everything. He cared for them. He did everything for them. And they just had to be his people. They had to come and receive all from him and walk with him and love him and have that relationship with him. And he wanted to be in the midst of them, not some distance away. He wanted to be there, right? And we know he came all the time and talked with them and related with them and shared his life with them and, and listened to them. And he, he, he saw, remember when, when Adam, he saw something wrong with Adam when he first created him? Of course, he never had a wife, did he? And of course, he was so sensitive to Adam's needs. He was so close to him that he went off and created the wife. And he presents the wife to him, as though he's so caring, so loving, so understanding, so knowing, so, so into them. That's what we have this evening, a covenant relationship with the living God, who is so for us, he can't ever break his word to us. That's what we're going to be looking at and discovering about. It's exciting. Sometimes I think, oh, it sounds a bit uh, theological or it sounds a bit legally, you know, but it depends how you preach it, doesn't it, whether it sounds like that or not. There is, there is a legal side to it. There is. The whole thing of covenants is like a, a legal thing. If you go to a, a lawyer solicitor, he can draw up covenants which has 
these legal words. And of course, the Bible has legal words to it because it's, it's, it's not that side we're looking at. A marriage has legal terms to it, doesn't it? I mean, sign the piece of paper, it's there, it's all registered, it's logged away. Because you don't get married for the piece of paper. Well, some people do. Well, that's, that's not marriage really, is it? But, but we get married because we fall in love. We want to be in love. We want to give ourselves and receive from this person and spend the rest of our lives with them. That's what God wants. He wants a covenant relationship with us. So chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis explains that well to us. We see what it is. But chapter 3, it didn't take long. It all goes so wrong. Because instead of them choosing to want to live in this covenant relationship with God, they said, no, we want to live independent of God. We don't want you to rule over us. What a silly, silly, silly thing to think and to do. What didn't they understand? What didn't God make plain? Where did they find this rebellion from? This, this sense of, I want to be independent. Doesn't that sound like marriage? Some today, you know, people, they, they want to be independent in this marriage. See, there's no place for that in covenant. It's the giving of oneself wholly into the relationship. They rejected God. They acted independently of the God who wanted to dwell and live amongst them. They broke the covenant relationship with God. See, covenant relationship you enter into freely. God entered into it freely and he invited others. Because if you don't want it, you break it. We can all break it if we want to. Over the next 4,000 years then, God sets about rebuilding the covenant relationship that was damaged by those two at the beginning. He starts to rebuild it to bring his people, his creation, back into this wonderful relationship. In that time, there were significant personalities that we read about in the scriptures. They loved God. They wanted a personal relationship with God. When so many around them didn't, somehow these personalities found it within themselves to want this significant relationship. I'm amazed that they did. How did Noah find it within his heart to be righteous when nobody else in the world was righteous? How did he find it in there? And of course, Abraham, being called of God, late in life, he was 75 before God even called him, he went and God credited it to him as righteousness. They made themselves available to God. When we think of Moses... When we think of David, these fantastic patriarchs who gave, gave their all to God and with them, in them giving themselves, he was able to build covenant after covenant after covenant until he comes to the covenant that he cuts with us through Jesus Christ. Such an exciting build-up of stories over thousands of years.
We will look at the tremendous uh, contribution these men made. I was conscious as I was just thinking through this. It's always contribution that men paid. Men paid. I want to say something here. I appreciate that not all are married, so bear with me. I can never get it right when you talk about these things. I understand that. See, if, you, if I say this is what I, I'm doing or this is what I've done, you know I have a wife that's been with me for 50 years. So really, it's not what I've done. It's what we have done. Because the two of us became one. And so through that union, we, we produce the one life between us. And yet often it's, this is what Philip does, or this is, no, there, there's a wonder. So I was sort of conscious of that. Although we speak about Abraham, what about Sarah? Oh, if we speak about David now, I don't know which wife to pick of David. So, <laughs> so um, uh, and, and some of them weren't, they didn't have a very good report, okay. Uh, but I, I think towards the end, I think his wife was very, very good and very supportive of him. And, you know, it, 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 it's sort of a bit of a rocky road. But you get the point I'm making. Although it's men, men, men all the time in the scriptures, there's usually a fantastic woman that has come and the two have become one, one. Uh, and so often I see as God has put me with my wife, she is so different. There's, you know, we're just different. So, but if she does something, it's like I've done it for you. Well, I, I take advantage of that. And if I do something, it's like, it's like she's done it. So, uh, and God has done a wonderful thing in causing that to happen. This teaching then about covenants is important for a number of reasons. One is, it shows us how much God loves us. Um, having lost it with uh, Adam and Eve, he could have said, oh, start again. Uh, see, I'm of a belief that he did it before Adam and Eve, but you don't have to believe this, and we're not going into all that now. But he, 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 in, he brought it to a close because it got so bad that God just closed it down. And so he recreated, I believe, again with Adam and Eve. Now, you don't have to, and we won't fall out over that one. It's just, it's where I'm at. It's the whole teaching on the pre-Adamic race, but don't worry about that. We can talk about that privately sometime, or you could email me or something. So, but he could have just started again. Remember with the children of Israel, when, when they were so rebellious, God said, oh, I'll just wipe them out, we'll start again. Uh, but see, so God isn't, God isn't opposed to it. If it's all going wrong, to restarting things again. He loved us though so much. He was gonna rebuild a covenant relationship with us. The highest possible relationship again with his people. It shows us that despite our weaknesses, God's plan will not be thwarted. Having set the thing in motion, he will bring it to a conclusion. And it doesn't seem to matter how long it takes. Uh, so you, have you ever wondered, why has it taken these thousands of years to get to this place? We'll have some answers as we look at covenants. You see, if, if you remove 
the whole population, you've got to wait hundreds of years for a population to grow. If you want to make a, a covenant with a nation and not a family, you've got to wait till the family becomes a nation, which could take hundreds of years, which it did do. Abraham's family was about, what, three, four hundred people, but the children of Israel, when he made a covenant with the nation, was something like two and a half million. Well, it takes a few years to get from three or four hundred to two and a half million, you can imagine. So, uh, so time, and God is working it all out. It's not a day wasted. Every day has its purpose. Everything that God is doing in its time has its purpose. It shows us the significant part that we play in this whole covenant thing. He couldn't have done it without Moses. He couldn't. He couldn't have done it without Abraham. He couldn't have done it without Noah. He couldn't have done it without David. And he definitely could have done, couldn't have done it without Jesus. So people play a significant role with God. You do. You do. You think, oh, no, my life isn't anything. You'll be surprised. We're not just making up the numbers. We're not. There's a significant part that we play in the kingdom building of God. You might never realise the full significance of the part that you've played until you see it all as he reveals it all to you. And you go, I didn't have a clue. That was an accident. I didn't realise I was supposed to be there. I didn't realise that. It's just, but God works these things out. That's my intro. I think we're in the notes now, so uh, if you've got your notes, uh, we, can, we can launch into this. We're going to be looking at the nature of covenants. It says that when God created man, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Oh, that's a lovely verse, isn't it? He created him and then it's magic switches onto them straight away. It's like uh, they were both in his mind, even at the creation of Adam. The woman was there, wasn't she? She was there all of the time. Maybe he just wanted man to be alone for a little while to appreciate that he really needs it. I don't know. I mean, you can put forward your own suggestions there. And to be made in the image of God? What does that mean? To be made in his image? He created them so he could have an intimate relationship with them. I suppose it's a bit like, uh, you know, when all the animals were paraded in front of uh, Adam. And it's like, is any one of these supposed to be your mate? Uh, you know, the, oh, I don't think it meant that for one minute. Anyway, that's the idea that's put forth. And because he looks at all these animals and he goes and he names them all, but he's still lonely. And then, of course, God makes a woman for him. And what does he say? He says, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. None of those animals were structured like him, standing up firm and of the same flesh. But when the woman comes, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now these two can become one. When God made us in his image, he made it possible that we could be one, that we and God could be one. Just like Adam and Eve could be one, 
we could be one with God. He made us physically, emotionally, and psychology, uh, psychologically, sorry, able to be the dwelling place of God. Remember the covenant of God? I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And I want to dwell in the midst of you. I want to live in you. Of course, we know that the New Testament teaches that quite clearly. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? He created us, made us, formed us, fashioned us so that God himself could come, not only dwell amongst us, that's he does, but dwell in us. Like bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, one spirit with the Lord. See, this relationship we have, as you start to look into it, it's not just there's a God and he likes you and he saved you and you're now his friend. Oh, that's, it's nothing like that at all. It's about the living God dwelling on the inside of us because that's how he formed and fashioned man to be. 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. For we are all the temple of the living God and God has said, I will live with them. Living with us, living in us. We're the temple of the living God fashioned and designed to house God himself. In Genesis 2 and 7, it says, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into him. The very spirit of God was breathed into him. I love the way it says, breathed into his nostrils. Isn't that funny? He could have said just breathed into him. But you see God into his nostrils. You almost see the spirit coming and flowing down into his body. And now God is dwelling in the midst of this man. He's a living being filled with the spirit of God, as it were. And then they rebel. How foolish. We don't want God living in us. We want to make our own decisions of life. And so in their rebellion, this spirit that was in them, somehow it left them. Their relationship with God was severed. They still have the breath of life in them, but God living and dwelling in the midst of them was lost. Then we have that same wonderful verse in John 20 and 22. Talking of Jesus when he rose from the dead, it said, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. It's the same of God. That which they had lost in the new covenant was restored through Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Praise God. God made an animal kingdom. It's different from humans. 
Animals don't have the Spirit of God breathed into them. They have mind and they have emotion. Of course they do if you've had pets. You know that. In some ways, dogs are more faithful than people, aren't they? I mean, it's wonderful, really. And, you know, other animals have other attributes. But they don't have the Spirit of God breathed in them, you see. When they die, I believe they die. Now, I know people are very attached to their animals and they would like to see them in heaven. Well, don't worry, God can do all things. He can make all things possible, so I don't want to upset anyone. But basically, there's a, there's a big difference between his created order of things. God then created us to have a relationship with him that was both personal and intimate. He wants an intimate relationship. Well, he lives in us. I don't know how more intimate you can get. The two of us become one. I was thinking the other day, when Jesus prayed, he never prayed anything like us. Because we go with lots of questions and petitions and, and reasoning. Because Jesus walked with God knowing knowing what to do all the time because the Spirit of God, God himself, dwelt within Jesus and there was no hindrance of the fallen nature and sin and all the backlog of stuff that we have that clutters things. He walked in fellowship with God knowing all the time the mind of God. His time of prayer was probably just a time of rejoicing with his father, uh, quietly being with his father. We can move into a place more and more where we know the mind and the will of God in our lives. Just like Jesus. It doesn't make us Jesus. It doesn't make us divine but we can enter into a much closer relationship. So instead of our prayers being full of petitions, they're full of adoration and praise and meditation and solitude with our God. Many times the scriptures has expressed his intended relationship with us. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of you. That's repeated at least 10 times through the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. Let me just give you uh, one of these. It's in, well, I'll give you an old and a new. In Leviticus 26 and 12, it says, I will walk amongst you and be your God and you will be my people. If you have the notes, I'll put all the references there. There's a good 10 or so. And one from the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. It says, I will live with them and I walk amongst them. Then I will be their God and they will be my people. Surely this is God's overriding plan for the last 6,000 years since the fall that he would work it out so that he could dwell amongst us again entering into this covenant relationship, fully committed to one another and him living amongst us and him being our God. No, no question of us um, 
usurping that. No question of us saying, oh, we don't want to do what you want us to do. But coming into this perfect covenant relationship. What is a covenant relationship? I've already spoken about the levels of relationship. An acquaintance, a friend, a close friend, a, a blood relation, a covenant relationship. The best example of a covenant relationship, of course, well, it should be the best example. It's what scripture holds up as the best example, is a marriage relationship. That's probably the only covenant relationship we're in. I understand there are business covenant relationships as well, but, but the marriage is a covenant relationship. Isn't the way that God has woven the whole marriage into mankind, and through the marriage relationship, we can know what God wants from us. In all our human relationships, whether it's children to parents or parents to children or husbands to wives, what it is, there is a much more big spiritual universal picture that God is creating and saying, you see this that you live out every day? This is what I want. But we see how much this, the relationships that we have are so marred and broken that we, we lose sight of perhaps what God is wanting for us. Genesis 2 and 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Man is going to leave the highest committed relationship he knows, a blood relationship, that's the highest one. Growing up in this world as a young man, the highest relationship I knew was the one with my mother and my father. It was a blood relationship. It was the highest relationship. They, they deserve the most respect and honour from me and I should have done everything to care for them and look after them and was committed to them until I met my wife. And then I entered into a higher relationship that I ever knew before. He entered into a covenant relationship with Eve. We see that in the beginning. Now, Adam didn't have a mum and dad, I know that. Uh, but we've all had mums and dads since that time. And of course, in leaving your mother and father, it's not a question of abandoning them, it's not a question of reducing the relationship that you have with them. That should maintain. But now you've got another relationship, a higher relationship than that. And that's this covenant relationship that you willingly and of your own volition have entered into with this person. And more than with your mother and father, you've said, listen, everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. And that, listen, if you ask me to do anything, as long as it's righteous, I'm committing myself to do it. Whatever it is. We go, is that really the order of marriage? Well, when we get on to the final lesson here, we'll spend the whole final week on marriage, so I'll keep it till the last one. But when we look at the marriage relationship and what it should be, we get a glimpse and a picture of what our relationship with the Almighty should be. 
The meaning of the word covenant from the Hebrew, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or uh, I'm not even a Greek scholar either, so I only quote what I've already read elsewhere and my pronunciation would be terrible. It's the word, uh, well, it's by apostrophe, R-I-Y-T-H. It's something like byrith, byrith, that's the word in Hebrew for covenant, and it means to bind together. So the relationship of a man with his wife is a binding covenant relationship. The two parties are bound together in such a tight relationship. They're so tightly bonded, they become one. See, that's not what you have with a blood relation, your mother or your father. You're not that tight. It's different. This is a relationship you willingly choose to enter into. There should be more teaching on marriage. Not, not oh, some of the teaching I've heard, it sort of, it misses the mark somewhat. It should be taught from the word of God in relationship to what is expected. What is expected of the man? Uh, and if you lay it down there, they'd probably walk away and say, oh, we can't do that, it's too difficult, sorry. Well, we're not there, I understand, and when anyone gets married, they're probably not there, but it's like, this is where you're going. Do you see where you're going in this relationship? There is a bonding here that's going to start today, and it, if anything, you're just driven, driven, driven into each other, so the two of you become one. Unfortunately, we never, well, in lots of marriages, there isn't the coming together at all, and it doesn't work, and there's an independence, and it just breaks down. And it does it again and often again. But that wasn't the plan of God. It was that you would drive yourselves into one another. See, this is what God wants. God wants to drive himself into us. And he wants us to drive ourselves in, into him. So in the end, you can't tell the difference. We become like the Lord. We walk like Jesus. He came to show us what it would be like if you were so bonded into God, what you would look like. And that's his teaching all the way through. It sounds extreme. It sounds over the top. Of course it does. But that's what he requires of us. That's what we see in the marriage. That's what we see in covenant relationship. Scripture puts it this way. They will become one flesh. Two people living together has nothing to do with marriage. It doesn't constitute a marriage by any stretch of the imagination. All you're doing is living with your close friend. I understand what you're doing. And if you're not a Christian, then it doesn't matter in that sense. But listen, the best, the best for us, even if we're not Christians, is to follow the, the plan of God. Living with your close friend won't do. You have to enter into a covenant relationship. The one flesh relationship is more than just living together. It's a relationship that's based on solemn promises made to one another and the confirmation of an oath that you make with that person. Unless you have done that and entered into that, marriage hasn't happened. 
And it mustn't be something that's arranged or forced. It must be something that's freely entered into. I give you everything. I give you the whole of me. And of course he or she says, yes, sir. and I give you the whole of me. I enter into this holy. I give myself totally to you. And this is what God does with covenant. He gives himself wholly to us. He can't give himself any more. He's all those precious promises of what he said he would do. We have the precious promises of marriage, don't we? You go to a marriage, you hear them all the time, all the precious promises they make to one another, the oath they enter into to promise to do certain things. When you go to a wedding, you are the witnesses to the promises that are made. You are the witnesses to the oath that is made between them. They're doing it publicly in front of everyone, saying, we give ourselves to each other and we will not break this relationship. Only in a short while, maybe, to break it. It breaks the heart of God when covenant relationships are broken. It does. He takes them very seriously. Three things about this covenant relationship, and I'm not talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about God. That's what Paul said, didn't he? He said, I'm not talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about Christ and his church. So I'm not talking about husbands and wives tonight, I'm talking about Christ and his church. But like Paul, I don't know any better way of looking at it than looking at the husband and wife, because that's what scripture does for us. Three things about the covenant relationship. Number one, it's preeminent. That is, its obligations supersede and take priority over every other claim. If my wife makes a claim on me, I'm obligated, I'm obligated to see it through, to do what she requires. I don't have an option. I can't say I don't want to do this, I don't feel like doing this, this doesn't suit me today. It doesn't. You see, because we hold this relationship so loosely and we exercise our own authority in the relationship, we don't understand the one we've got with God. That's why we don't understand. His promises are yes and amen. If I've said it and I'm in covenant relationship, I can't go back. And when I said I would do everything I possibly could for my wife, that was an obligation. Now, I didn't know that 50 years ago. I didn't know any of this 50 years ago. <laughs> better, better find out now. Never too late. Yeah? Make up for lost time, maybe. And so whatever she requires of me, again, if it's, if it's unrighteousness, I can't do that because my obligation is first to God. But anything she requires of me, I have to do it. I have to do it. Everything I require of her, she has to do it. She has to do it. Because that's the covenant relationship that we've all entered into. It's preeminent then. It's permanent. It's permanent, that is, it's not time-based. When God entered into a covenant, it wasn't time-based, it was eternal. All his covenants are eternal. Now, they could be superseded by another one, but what we find when we study the covenants is that if he made a covenant with Abraham, it still stands. The covenants he made with Israel, they still stand. 
They stand because they're permanent. Unless Christ came to fulfill something of it, and some things he has, so we're not obligated to do those things, but other things, they go all the way through. The Ten Commandments, you can't break any of them. They're eternal. That's just the end of it. They are. Nothing supersedes. Grace doesn't supersede the law in that sense. We have to maintain the covenant that we've entered into. It's inviolable. That is, because of the sacred nature of the covenant bond, to break it, in God's eyes, is the most serious kind of wrongdoing imaginable. To break the covenant that you've entered into with God is serious stuff. And yet sometimes, because we don't think much of promises that we've made and we easily break them, it means nothing to us. God's covenant with man. We've spoken about God's covenant in the garden with Adam and Eve, as it were. The word covenant is not used with Adam and Eve, but we see it as covenant. He was their God, they were his people, there were only two of them, and he lived amongst them, he, he walked with them. Adam and Eve broke the covenant, we know. This is what it says in Hosea 6 and 7. It says, like Adam, or like mankind, or like men, Adam is mankind or men, like Adam, they, they have broken the covenant. Adam and Eve, between them, they've broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me, he says. The couple, they rejected the relationship they had. The creature with the creator. Imagine the creator coming to the creature and saying, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I will promise you certain things and I will never break my word, but you must promise certain things to me. They wanted their independence of God. They wanted their autonomy. Isn't that what's wrong with a lot of people today? Don't tell me what to do. The suggestion that we would read this and do it, we'll have to think about it or pray about it at least. There is nothing to pray about, to think about so often. The answer is to do it, to respond in what he says. When Adam and Eve broke this covenant, there were inescapable consequences. It was very serious, you see, to break a covenant. They broke their relationship with God where God dwelt amongst them and was with them every day and fellowshipping with them, he says, out of the garden you go, and he put the angel there, and there was no more fellowship between God and man. They were cut off from the life source. They suffered the pain of mortality. Death entered every one of them, the two, but it enters every one of us because of that original breaking of the covenant. When we break covenant with God, death enters into us. The soul that sins will surely die, and the soul even that's born again that continues to sin will surely die. Every time we sin, we're breaking the covenant. We're, we're causing a rift in the covenant. 
there was a new and a terrible spiritual aloneness. Spiritual death entered into them. They'd never been alone, you see. It was Adam and Eve and God. What a relationship. But when the sin entered, they felt terribly alone. Cut off from God. The most wonderful thing about Christianity is that you have a relationship with the living God. You might not fully understand that. But if now, having experienced that for some years, God put you back to where you were and you didn't have that relationship, you would know how ugly and dark and terrifying that place would be. I appreciate I grew up as a child in a Christian home and gave my life to Christ when I was just five years of age. I never know what it was to be alone spiritually. I've never experienced that. It says when Jesus went to the cross, he tasted death for us. It was like he tasted the separation that sin brings. He never died spiritually, I'm not saying that. But he tasted something of that lonely place. I've never known what that is. God has always existed for me. He's always been there. We've forgotten, perhaps, what a terrible, lonely, lonely, awful place that is. No initiative on Adam and Eve's part could ever find a way back to that intimate relationship that they once had, they once enjoyed with their creator. They couldn't come back. But there, there God begins to rebuild the relationship with his creation again. And over the next 4,000 years, from century to century, we look at the picture of God building this fantastic relationship until he comes to Christ, when everything has been worked through and we reach that place where something enters into us to make it all possible that we could enter back into a relationship that was even better than what Adam and Eve had in the beginning. What you have now is better than what they had in the beginning. I know you live with a sin-fallen nature still and you struggle with that, but that which he has placed within you is far better than what Adam and Eve had in the beginning. We'll have a break there, come back after the break, and soldier on. Bless you all. In this lesson, we will... uh, have an overview of the covenants that we're going to be looking at and then over the coming weeks we'll we'll take each covenant in turn and examine exactly what God was doing and uh, why he did it and how he took it as far as he did all those sorts of things and we'll build the covenant picture up till we get to the end. The Old Testament there were well there were four covenants really although I might mention five. The first one is the covenant that he makes with Noah. It says in this in Genesis 6 and 18, he says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. So this is the first time the word covenant is actually uh, used in scripture. 
God coming and making a promise to man since the fall, as it were, that he would, he, he would enter into a relationship with him, a covenant relationship. Why with Noah? For God to rebuild his covenant, he had to find somebody who was willing and wanted that relationship with God. I sort of mentioned this in the first uh, talk there. How come only Noah, of all the population, it says he was the only righteous man? How did he survive? Uh, I mean, it's just, but something was in him that he, he hungered after God. So somehow people must have appreciated God, but they didn't want anything to do. They didn't want to submit their wills to him. They didn't pursue after him, but apparently Noah did. It says this in Genesis 6, 8, 9. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless amongst the people of his time, and he walked with God. What it says to us, if Noah could be blameless and have a heart for God, so could everyone else. So God was fully justified in what he did in destroying all the others. It wasn't an unfair act. They thought nothing of God. They didn't want a relationship with God. They didn't want to walk in righteousness. And God said that every thought and intention and desire of their hearts was evil. Well, he couldn't permit that to continue. And so he was all for starting over again. This desire to have a relationship with God was vital to God if there was going to be a covenant relationship. It's like for marriage to succeed, sorry, I keep jumping back into marriage because that's what's going to happen all the time because we can see how the similarity is. For a marriage to work, haven't both parties really got to love one another? I mean, if the love flows all from one and the other goes, well, it just seemed convenient, oh, that's all right. You know, that sort of laissez-faire attitude, it's not starting too well. You want two people who really want to love and give themselves to one another for the thing to have any hope, really, for progressing in the future. Same with God. If God's going to enter into a covenant with man, he's looking for a man that wants to enter into a covenant with him. And as he looks over the whole earth, he sees one man. I don't know where his wife was, I'm not sure. But because the two were one, they came as a deal. I don't know where his children were either, do we? But we know there was just this one man. He found him. He found him, it says he was blameless among the people. So that's one of the important things of coming into a covenant relationship that we wanted. No one made you get saved, did they? It wouldn't have worked. Somehow God revealed himself to you because maybe did he see something in you that was searching and did he know that if he presented himself to you, that you would have responded positively? I believe so. So I believe he chose you and you chose him at the same time. He knew what your response would be. He knew you were seeking after righteousness. You might not have put it in those terms, but he could see within you there was something some, some that wanted God, wanted the reality of life, wanted righteousness.
The second in this series of covenants is the covenant that he made with Abraham. <clears throat> it was about 500 years from the flood to Abraham. A long period of time, you think. Why did God wait so long? Well, there was no one on the earth. So he, he had to wait a time until the population, as it were, started to replenish the earth. He looked again to move it on to the second phase of covenant. And of course he finds this man called Abraham. A man who believed God. A man who wanted to do the right thing. So when God presented himself to him, he presented, it says, his glory to him. And immediately Abraham was prepared to go. He saw something in the heart of this man. Just like you, you see. God saw something in your heart that if presented with the gospel, you would take it. Eventually, he might have gone on for some time, but he knew that you would respond. He believed in God. God knew he wanted the right thing. Listen to God's endorsement of Abraham. Isaiah 41 and verse 8. It says, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, your descendants of Abraham, my friend. Jacob is another terminology for Israel. So he's talking about making this relationship with Israel, this was with the Mosaic Covenant, he said, I did this with you because of my friendship with Abraham, a friend of God. He wanted God. He wanted this relationship. Do you know how God describes you? Well, that's no surprise. You're his friend. Just like Abraham was a friend of God, just like when he saw Noah, he saw a righteous man. When he sees you, you're a friend of God. Because that's what Jesus called us, a friend of God. James 2 and 23, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my friends. You see, to be in a covenant relationship with God, we have to be a friend of God. We have to willingly want to be in the relationship. If we don't, it doesn't work. His third covenant was one with Israel. From Abraham to Moses was another 500 years. Over 500 years, God would build a nation from a family from one man he would build a nation of millions of people. He's introducing his third covenant. The covenant would be with a nation. Meditated through, mediated, sorry, through Moses. Again, it's based on relationship. Listen to what the scripture tells us about Moses. In Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short while. He chose God of all that had been offered to him. What a challenge for that man. He, he could have been the next pharaoh. I mean, he was in line he, with all the skullduggery of politics I know, but he could have well had that position. But he said, no, I choose to be with the people of God. He chose friendship with God above those things. He was prepared, I know. But you see, there was a responsibility in his heart as well. Just there is in yours. You're not manipulated like a puppet by God. God has seen something in you, entered into a covenant relationship, and he knows you can follow through on all the promises that you make to God and the promises he makes to you. He knows you can do it. He knows you can follow through because he made you after his own image. He understands it. You don't understand it. You don't believe in yourself sufficiently. When Jesus rebuked Peter for sinking in the water. He said, why don't you believe? Not in me. Why don't you believe in yourself? God knows, you see. He hasn't entered into a covenant with everyone. He would love to, but he hasn't. But you've entered willingly into a covenant with him. And that's all it took. You can do it. You can do it. You're not weak and broken and small and useless. You're a covenant partner with God, strengthening one another. His strength is made available to you. His power is made available to you. We've got to see it. Otherwise, we'll always be flopping about. Every bit of strength that I've got in our marriage relationship, it's there for Daphne. It's there for her. And the strengths that she has, the grace and the mercy that's in her life, they're available for me. And now imagine in a relationship with God, he says, my power is made available to you. It's not we're weak. Worshipping a God who's up there and so wonderful. <sighs> he is wonderful and up there. But we have been made so to draw into this. You see, you've got to see this. I hope after eight weeks of this, we'll see it, okay? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm bashing it out on week one. It's like you walk out of here ten feet tall. You've got to. And it's not I'm making it up. It's what the whole scripture is about. It's about our covenant relationship with Almighty God. This salvation is not some little thing to help broken world. It's a powerful, powerful thing and goes on for eternity. It's we that change the world it isn't the world or the governments. It's us in our covenant relationship with him that make all the difference. We change the towns in which we live. We change the institutes in where we are because we walk in the covenant relationship with Almighty God. We must see it. 
We must see it. He had this relationship. See, that you've got. You're his friend. He doesn't want to do things without telling you. He, we looked at prophecy. God's speaking to us. He wants every day to relate to us, to strengthen us. I'm always amazed you read these testimonies of nobodies, absolute nobodies, doing tremendous things for God. They surprise even themselves. But they see something. And they see the potential of what's possible with God's power released in them. It says in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses' pedigree, mother and father, slaves. When they talk about the great chapter of faith, they mention his parents, but they don't even mention their name. Just as Moses' parents, well, we know their name because of the genealogies that we find in the Old Testament. They were nobodies. My parents were nobodies. Nobodies. I'm a nobody. But I'm in covenant relationship with the Almighty God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. And what's made available to Christ is made available to me. Otherwise, I'm not a co-heir, am I? Phenomenal. All covenants, then, are based on a mutual relationship. Like marriage is based on a mutual relationship, freely entered into by both parties. This is what I have with God, and so do you. A mutual relationship? Yes? I know he's the bigger partner, but it's mutual. He's never made you do anything that you didn't want to do ever once. He respects you too much. Remember when he came to Abraham? He said, Abraham, my friend, this is what I plan to do. What's all that about? I plan to do this. I wouldn't do this without talking to you. I want to know what you think about it. He was committed to him. And Abraham says, are you going to destroy that city? Because he's thinking of saving Lot, I think. It doesn't say that, but his, his nephew's in the city, isn't he? And he says, if there are 50 righteous, will you destroy? He goes, no, not if you don't want me to. 45? No, not if you don't want me to. Why? Why was he saying, no, I won't do it? Because he was in covenant relationship with him. He goes down all the way to 10. He could have got down to one. God could not have refused him. He couldn't because he was in covenant relationship with him. You cannot refuse somebody you're in covenant relationship with because you've promised to do if they desire a righteous thing to do it. God would have gone all the way down, all the way down because he was in relationship with him. And so when God then says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and take him up that mountain and kill him, it says straight away he did it. Why? 
because he was in covenant relationship with God. He could not say no to God. God did not say no to him, so he could not say no to God. He said yes. Now, the argument was he knew that he would have offspring through him and he believed that God would raise him from the dead, but there was never a no. Has God ever asked you to do something? And you said, no, I'll pray about it. Let's wait and see how it pans out. The answer is yes, yes, yes. I was a pastor for so many years and I said to the people, the, old, the answer is always yes. If I ask you to do something, the answer is always yes. If your brother and sister ask you to do something, the answer is always yes. It's yes. Now, you might not be able to do it. You might not physically be able to do it. There might be obstacles in your way. But the first answer is yes, yes. Because I'm in covenant relationship with God and with you. I can't say no to you. You're my brother and sister in Christ. The answer is always yes. Yes. It might not be, I might not be the best person to do it. I will never say no. My dear wife says, you're always saying yes to people. What is wrong with you? <laughs> you said yes that you would do this for me yesterday. Now you're saying yes to them. Then I know. I, I, I've got, I made a mess of this. I know. I've double booked. So. But the answer was always yes, of course, of course, of course. Why? Because God's answer is always yes. He's never holding out on you. He can't. He's not allowed to. He's not allowed to hold out on you because he's in covenant with you. He's married to you, like he married himself to the nation. He said, you're my, you're my wife, you're my children. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. God's covenant with Israel was based on relationship. Deuteronomy 4 and 37, because he loved, he said, because he loved your forefathers and he chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength. He loved Israel and they were a rabble bunch, weren't they? But he loved them because of their forefathers. My children are so blessed do you know why? Because of me. Without a shadow of a doubt. I tell them, if you are prospering in health and money, it's because of me and your mum. Now, don't ever forget that. <laughs> but it's true from Scripture. The children of the righteous, it says, will never beg bread, ever. Your prosperity, boys, is because of your old dad. There it is. He loved Israel, that rebellious bunch, because of the forefathers. Just as man, the man of creation, is defined in terms of his relationship with God, so Israel is now defined in, its, in terms of its relationship with God. He always speaks about Israel 
about in terms of relationship he has with them. Deuteronomy 7 and 6. For you are a people, he says, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. He has chosen them to be his possession. He has chosen you to be his possession. What a privileged position that you have. And he's entered into covenant relationship that cannot be broken. The fourth in the series that we're going to look at, um, from Exodus to David, was another 500 years. God seems to move in great big leaps. His, his fourth step in restoring this broken relationship that happened right there in the garden at the beginning. Again, the key is intimacy with God. It's always intimacy with God. 1 Samuel 13 and 14, he says, The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. God can find them, you see. He finds them. He's looking to see those who have hearts who are turned towards him. And he makes a relationship with them. He saw you before you ever saw him and chose that relationship. In Psalm 89, 26, 28, he will call out to me, this is God speaking of David, he will call out to me, you God, you God, he says, you're my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And God's response to David is this, I will maintain my kindness to him forever and my covenant with him will never, never fail. Wow. God can't break that covenant promise. Because when we read the genealogies, you know, in the Gospels, that's just the promise of God. Here he is, here he is, here he is with his promise. Now, the, the, the children went into obscurity. They weren't kings, as it were. It all got lost as the power diminished after David. But God was still looking, 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 looking until it comes down to the birth of Jesus. He kept the line, you see. That was the promise he made to David. You, you will have a king after you and it will be forever and forever and forever and now of course Jesus is the king forever and forever and forever in this covenant promising of God first he promises uh, Abraham a city then he promises Israel a nation but what does he promise us? The world. The world. I don't want to live in Israel. God bless Israel. I want to be living with the king of the whole world. Of course, he might set up his throne in Israel. I'm not getting into any disputes with anyone about this but not to be the king of Israel. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't come to be the king of Israel. He comes to be the king of the whole world. I don't have to go to Israel because I live in the world. 
of where he's going to be the king of the whole world. Isn't it amazing? With the covenant promises of God, we're going to discover there's always land. There's always land, and it's God's land. We'll discover all of this as we go along. Finally, there's the new covenant. Thank God for all those great patriarchs of the Old Testament. They played such an important part, didn't they? They sought God and God sought them. And he moved it on and moved it on and moved it on. But now we come to the final scene. Now we move into the New Testament. Jeremiah, he prophesies about a new covenant, a new covenant for God's people. And all the prophets at that time could see something. They didn't know what it was, but they could see it coming. So we come to the final scene now. When man's lost relationship is completely restored. This is what God's been working on. Through the death and the resurrection of God's only Son, the work is completed. Jews and Gentiles together coming in to the covenant of God. Abraham's seed. We're all Abraham's seed. His children. We're his covenant people, just like Israel were his covenant people. They were established by a covenant. We have been established by a covenant. A holy nation belonging to God. That first title was given to the nation of Israel, remember, when he, he beckoned them up the mountain and said, meet with the living God, now go into all the world and evangelize the world for me. And they say, no, we're not going. We're terrified to meet the living God. Moses, you go up and represent us and maybe the elders, you go, you go, but we are not going to do it. So he had to wait thousands of years until another people would be prepared to go up the mountain. And that's you. That's you. 1 Peter 2 and 9. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're his royal priesthood. We are priests for the king. See, individually you are you're just like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. Oh, they spectacular and there's wonderful things written about them and they sat on thrones. They were friends of God and that's who you are. A friend of God. John 15, 14 and 15. He said, you're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I've been made known to you. I'm a friend of God. He wants to share his mind with me. Maybe we don't listen enough. 
I'm really challenged about this of late. If I get challenged, you get challenged. That's what happens with preaching, did you know that? When God gets on my case, I'll get on your case. You see, when you go to prayer, shut up. Shut up. He knows what you want before you even ask. So he knows. So you don't have to say it 50 times. Listen. Listen. Listen to him. We've lost it, haven't we? And if you're Pentecostal or charismatic, you've probably never had it. Because we must make noise all the time. Okay? And, and some people have copied the charismatic model and make noise all the time. They've lost the art of shutting up and listening to God. You know, as soon as you stop to listen, a thousand thoughts rush to your head. All the things you've got to do. All those things. We've got to learn to silence them. You know, just take some things out of your diary. Just, just chill. And just, just listen to God. There's a whole stream in the church. A contemplative stream. We've lost it. We're so evangelical and charismatic, our feet are so planted in this stream, we've lost the other streams that we need to benefit from, to be whole as Christians. Once we've heard, we can move in the charismatic, move in the evangelical. We can move, but we can't move without hearing and knowing. I'm getting the opportunity of leading a church again. I made lots of mistakes the first time. I didn't do them willingly. I wasn't being rebellious or naughty. I just copied others. Just You do when you're young. You don't know what to do. You watch what other people are doing. They seem to be successful. So you say, I'll do that. That must be working. I'm going to do only what God tells me to do this time. That's it. That's it. Now, I hope it's not too bizarre. Okay. Now, I did get some of it right. I mean, I'm not a complete idiot. But, you know, I've got to be honest and say, you know, but God's given me another chance to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to be the friend who's in a covenant relationship with Almighty God. This then, in the New Testament, is the final covenant. There won't be another one. It's finished. Christ did it. He sealed it. It's all done. Because it leads to the perfect restoration of relationship with God. See, the thing that kept us away from that perfect relationship was the sin that had to be dealt with and then the ability to do it. So he sends Jesus to the cross to remove the sin and he gives us the Holy Spirit inside to enable us to do it. So there's nothing now to hinder us. 
those poor saints in the Old Testament, they didn't have the blood of Jesus to cleanse them of sin and they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to make it all possible. But in the final covenant, you see, God kept it all for the final covenant and he brought it in. You haven't got an excuse. You haven't, nor have I. We just haven't got them. And he finishes in Revelation 21. You know this verse. It's the one that's quoted all the way through the Bible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's what he always wanted. See, what he wanted with Adam and Eve, he lost it. But on that day, it will be regained. I think we'll live down here on earth because God is not going to be cheated out of what he wanted, which was a covenant people who would live in a beautiful world where Satan has been banished and we will enjoy the richness of heaven on earth. Amen. See you next week. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come on back next week for the second lesson in our Covenants Part 1 module. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, we would appreciate your donations by going onto our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online payment to us. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.